Thank you for joining us today. If you're new to The Rock, we would love to connect with you, and you can text Rock of KC to 816-307-1611 for a Connect card, and a member of our team will be in touch with you shortly. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give safely and securely through our app and on our website at rockofkc.com. Your generous giving through The Rock supports many ministries here locally and globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning, church. Welcome to the building. Easter is coming. Easter's already come. I don't mean to confuse you. Yeah, we are Easter people around here. Hopefully we're Easter people 24-7, 365 days a year. Kind of like that restaurant. Which one is it? Waffle House. It's never, never closed. Don't want to have a steady diet of Waffle House or you won't be stewarding your temple too well. Anyway, moving right along, we won't want to, won't no one you to go there. Hey, um, water baptisms is, is a huge time of celebration and actually a public confession of your faith. Uh, water baptism is meant to declare to the public what's happened on the inside of you. What's happened on the inside of you is that you have, you have said yes to Jesus. And so you're identifying with Jesus in his death through water baptism. He was buried. So when you go down in the water, you're being buried. You're saying to the world, on the inside of me, I'm, I've said no to myself. And I'm saying yes to Jesus. I, I've said no, I'm saying no to my self-will and uh, my selfish ambition. And I'm, I'm saying no to these things. And I'm going to bury them. And then I'm going to come up out of that water like Jesus came up out of the grave to walk in newness of life. And so I'd encourage you, if you've not obeyed God, and it's a commandment, he commanded us to be baptized. And he commanded the apostles and stuff to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you, whatever's keeping you from obeying God in water baptism, why don't you put it to death, get signed up for Easter what a, what a better time to honor God. And the Bible says if you'll honor God, he'll honor you. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. And so um, it's not enough just to emotionally say, I love God. Where is the evidence that he's really come into our life and transformed us and that we're, we're not ashamed to identify with him? And so I encourage you, a lot of people have traditions about this or, you know, embarrassment or I'm afraid of water. Well, that's all that, just put it, to death and step out in faith and obey God and watch what he'll do in your life. Amen? All right, y'all ready to get into the word? Ready for that word to get into you? Let's pray. Father, we are here to worship you. We are here to worship you in every aspect of our life. Lord, singing, how we do our work, how we drive our cars, how we steward our bodies, everything is to be worship as unto you. And Lord, how we listen to this word and how we lean in. Uh, so help us, God, as Pastor Kurt exhorted us, not to get distracted, um, to let our minds wander. But, Lord, help us to hear your word, to receive your word, to mix it with faith, to act upon it so it wouldn't return void in our life, but it'll produce the fruit that you desire. And that fruit would remain, and we would so prove to be your disciples and glorify you, our Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Well, we're in a series on the book of Philippians, we're going through the chapters, uh, just four chapters. It's a prison epistle. Paul wrote it from a prison 
so his circumstances didn't dictate his joy. Um, we're titled this book, Joy No Matter What. This is the, our series. Joy is a huge uh, theme in the Bible. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. When we start losing our joy or our, loy, our, joy star loy, our joy starts dissipating, then it's because we're getting out of the presence of God. Um, that doesn't mean we're not talking about happiness. Happiness depends upon happenings. Uh, we can be happy one second and totally depressed the next, depending on the news that we've just heard. Or determining, you know, we were really happy, like the numbers were lining up, and then, oh, you know, you didn't get the lottery. You didn't win the Powerball. It didn't happen. And it was like, you were so, yes, I got, oh. And that happiness is built on circumstances. But joy is an internal thing. It's, it's joy in us, the Bible says, full of glory, inexpressible. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And this joy, um, the scripture says that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we're not talking about some kind of happy, clappy, serpy, you know, just I'm just happy all the time. No, there are times that you weep, but you don't weep without a sense of knowing it's going to be all right. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. Like, think about that. He endured the cross, but he, the cross, he knew he was going to the cross, and he was in such anguish the night before that he, his, his capillaries at, at the skin level burst. He was under such stress and anxiety physically. But the Bible says that he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. So joy is this internal work of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God that we carry in our lives, Christ in us, the hope of glory that, that keeps us knowing a better day is coming. And even though I may suffer in this life, and even though I may have trials and hardships, and I may have weeping for a night, and that season may never seem to want to end, there is going to be joy because I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. And it keeps me going. The apostle, uh, in his epistle of 1 John, 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, he says, no greater joy do I have than this. No greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And this is really the heart of Paul's epistle. The Holy Spirit inspired him to write to Philippians, who he loved dearly. It was his second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts 16. And he He's uh, planted this first church in Europe, and they were dear to his heart. They partnered with him in the gospel. They partnered him with the offerings, and, and they were very dear to him, and he, he wanted to see them continue. Uh, in chapter 2, we, we probably won't get there because there's 30 verses, and I'm just here to tell you right now for all you Connect leaders, I, I had every intention to get through all 30 verses, but when you spend hours studying and putting it together, and you just do the math. Even if I, all right, moving right along. So, but you can get my notes. You can ask for them and God will lead you. Holy Spirit's in you guys. So all you leaders, you can, you can handle this. But one of the things he says, I, I don't want to have run my race in vain. In other words, if this word isn't alive in you, if it's not active in you, if you're not, if you're not walking it out, I've, I've, I've done, all my labor has been in vain. My preaching, and so that's God's heart for you and me. No greater joy does the Father have. How many of you love it when your children just are walking in truth? Like you just, there's a joy, like they're getting along. This is the heart and the spirit of it, our Father in heaven, that we want Him, we want Him to smile 
because we're his children and we're loving each other like he's loved us and we're forgiving. And this is the heart and the spirit of this. And so let's move into John, uh, Philippians chapter two. We'll get through as many verses as we can this morning. Uh, Paul is moving in chapter two is now, and now he wants you and I to know how to live with each other. How do we honor God in community with one another? And one of the things that we have to do as Western mindset people, we have to get a biblical mindset. And the Western mindset is we're rugged individuals. You know, go West, young man. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go get your gold and go stake your land. And I mean, there's that kind of that Western tough guy, get it done, take matters into your own hands. And, and there's some good in that, but there's also some really bad in that because it makes us rugged individuals that don't have an understanding of our need for one another and for community. And God's a God of community. God's a, God has a body, and we need each other. I just met some brothers that confirmed it, uh, uh, an uncle, and, and, and they've, they've got a 75-day challenge that they're doing. Two workouts a day, no alcohol. I mean, 10 positive pages of reading. And, and they, I was like, come on. I said, man, look at you. And he goes, yeah, I've lost 45 pounds. And the other, dude, we're... You, you were getting big. And he said, yeah, I've lost 45 pounds. They, it's like, wow. He says, well, it's accountability. So what they did, they partnered together. And they said, we need to do this. And I, was, so I said, man, you guys are just preaching my message for me. I just have you come up here. But that, that idea that we just do it all on our own. Some people are like that. They're like, they're in the one percenters. I'm a one percenter. And I don't need anyone. I can do. Well, that's a misnomer because they wouldn't get to one percent if they didn't have others doing a lot of work that gets them at their 1%. But anyway, that's just, we, we need each other. And that's the point here. In Philippians 2, 1, he says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, the therefore is there because of what he had said in chapter 1, which I can't go back and rehearse, but basically at the end of chapter 1, he's given them a, an example saying, Hey, guys, I need you to represent the gospel of Christ well because there are enemies. There are enemies. There are enemies to the cross. There's enemies to this message. And I need you to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Okay? In other words, don't lose your salvation over enemies. Don't revert back to your flesh. Don't revert back to name calling. Don't stay in Christ, let the spirit of Christ dwell in you. He says, so there he's dealing with the external things. Now he's saying, I want to go internal amongst the community of faith. Here's how I want you to live. If there's any consolation, and actually you could translate that since there is. Since there is consolation, since there is comfort of love. If there's any consolation in Christ, Luke 2.25 says that one of the titles for Jesus as the Messiah is the consolation of Israel. Hey, the consolation of Israel, behold him. There is consolation in Christ. There is consolation in the Spirit of God. Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 1.5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. God comes and consoles us when we're suffering. Why? He said, hey, Ben, I suffered too. Hang in there, man. We're gonna get through this together. God comes with consolation. 
And since there is that kind of consolation, go and give it to each other. Go and give it to each other. This is what he's saying. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.16, God has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. What a good God we have. And we have this in God. Now receive it and go give it to others. Then he says, if there is any, and since there is comfort of love, 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that God is the God of all comfort. There is no way he cannot comfort us and no circumstance beyond his comfort. But this is more than just comfort. This is the comfort of love. Remember, we're supposed to speak truth in what? In love. Like truth spoken. Well, I, I told him the truth. Yeah, and it was like a blunt knife. It, you want truth spoken in love so that it cuts with a view to heal. Like a surgeon's knife. It's meant, it hurts. The cut hurts, but it's meant to heal. But see, when you just speak truth and there's no love in it, you're just trying to punch someone out. <laughs> you're not really trying to love them into change. The word comfort in this passage is the ancient Greek word paraklesis. The idea behind this word for comfort in the New Testament is always more than soothing sympathy. It has the idea of strengthening, of helping, of making strong. You see, God doesn't just come and pat you on the back and say, you poor baby, it'll be all right. That's, I mean, there's a comfort in that. There's a soothingness in it. But that's, it's beyond what this means. When God comes to comfort us, yes, there's soothing comfort, but it's beyond that. It's strength. The idea behind this word is communicated by the Latin word for comfort, which is fortis, which also means brave. The love of God in our life makes us strong and makes us brave. Come on now. Make me brave, God. Well, I need your love, the, the love of the Father to cast out the fear that makes me not brave. Fear, fear does a lot of things that are negative, except the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the only positive thing mentioned in Scripture. The fear of God, fear of man's a snare, the fear of the devil's a snare, the fear of opinions of others, comparison, that fear of missing out. That's all negative stuff. It's not good. And we need the comfort, the fortification of the love of God to come in and say, hey, be brave, be strong, be courageous. Come on now. I'm here to fortify you. I'm here to put courage into you. I'm here to tell you that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. I'm here to help you get your eyes off of your present circumstances that's robbing and stealing your joy and get into the presence of God. Come on now, this is the kind of comfort God comes and brings and says, hey, listen, you're built for something better than this. Don't wallow in this uh, self-pity. Don't go down this road. Bring comfort to people, true comfort, that comes and says, look, man, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. I, I'll hold your hands up right now, but you're not gonna go down this road. I'm not gonna let you go down this road. We're going to get our eyes on Jesus. I know you're hurting. I know you're sad. I know you've been disappointed. I understand the betrayal that you are going through. But listen, we're not going to let the devil win. We're not going to let him play his theme song over our life. You know what the devil's theme song is? Another one bites the dust. That's why he loves to pick that tune up when we fail, when we falter, when we deconstruct and say, I'm not following Jesus anymore. Another one bites the dust. So not, not with my life, not with your life. See, this is the community of encouragement, 
faith. Since there is this in your life, then give it to others. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, how many of you ever have sensed the Holy Spirit in your life? You, okay, if you have never, then you're not saved because you cannot come to Christ unless the Spirit draws you. Every one of us has an ability to sense the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's our job to get familiar with him. One of the things I really like about sports and I like about um, team sports is because watching basketball, for instance, like how do they ever learn to do a no-look pass? Think about it. A no how does that happen? How, how do they know that guy's going to, because they've played together so many times, they practice and they've got a rhythm together, they can just know, hey, he's going to be there. He'll be at the top of the hoop, alley-oop, boom. You're going to do a give and go, sweep. It's, it's beautiful to watch. It, it's beautiful for me to watch people who can really dance because I really can't. <laughs> like I have that CRD thing, CRD, Caucasian Rhythm Disorder. And so when I dance, it's an embarrassment to my family and looks like a train wreck. But I enjoy it, and I'll do it because I do it as unto God, not as unto men. But the point is, when you watch a, a couple of dancers who, have, who are in tune, they're in tune, they've practiced, and they're, they're listening to the same music. They're not competing and fighting each other. My wife and I took some ballroom dancing lessons, and it was horrible. It was terrible. She kept wanting to lead, and the man is to lead. She goes, but you're not, in, you're not on step. And I go, but you're not following me. But you're not in rhythm. And so that was, it was a mess. You know, oh, it'll, it'll, you know it's kind of like hanging wallpaper together as a couple. There's a demon in every role and two demons in double roles. It's, it's like, why would you put yourself through this? Like, no, I'm going to take the paper and wrap you up in it. And, uh, <laughs> There's, there is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And you and I need to stay in tune with him. Like, Holy Spirit, I want to fellowship with you. I want to learn to hear your whisper. I don't want to have to, you have to yell at me. I want to be sensitive to you. I want to be led by you. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And God's just looking for conduits who will just welcome him. And say, Holy Spirit, I, I need you to fill me today. I need you to guide me and lead me into truth today. I need you to wash over me the water of God's word. Bring it to my remembrance. I, I want a relation. I want a fellowship with you. I don't want to quench you. I don't want to throw cold water on you. I want your fruit to get manifested in my life. I want your gifts to flow through me. Holy Spirit, I want a fellowship with you. The... the And then he goes, if there's any affection and mercy, since there is affection. How many of you ever sensed the affection of God? Boy, I have. I remember the first time just being saved and reading through the Bible and reading in Psalm 139. And it's, it's in there. It says that he knew me even before I was in my mother's womb. And then while I was in there, he knit me and formed me. And the thoughts that he had for me are written in his book. I go, and I, there, I stopped right there. It's like, God thinks about me. That's amazing. God, you, that you created all this and you have all these things that are, and you think about me. That's called affection. And I remember weeping. I, as a young believer, I was like, 
you know, really wanting to just please God and pressing in. And so I learned about prayer and being taught you need to learn how to pray for an hour. And so I would really work at that. And I, after five minutes, I'd fall asleep. And then my roommate might come in because we had this little closet area and there's a curtain over it. And then I'd hear him and then I'd wake up and act like I'd been praying the whole time. I mean, you know, come on, man. I'm just being honest. Like, this is like, God's like, you know, you needed a nap more than you need to pray. But anyway, uh, but working through that, and I remember having this room that I went to and just going in prayer and intercession and learning how to wait on God and pray for things he put on my mind and heart and pray for different countries. And, and I was remembering, God, I love you. I just, God, I love you. God, you're so good. I can't believe you saved me. And just having this, this moment. And then so I, I was up and I'm walking out, and then I just heard the voice of God. And he said, he said Philip, I, I love you too. I was trying so hard to love him. I wasn't receiving his love. And me know what I'm talking about. I was trying so hard. And that, that's affection from God. He said, you've received it. Now, now go. Go with that affection to others. And mercy. How many of you have ever received mercy? Like I, I, I do daily. <laughs> God, you're so merciful to me. God, you're showing me mercy. How, how many of you ever get yourself in a pickle? I, I get in, in myself in a pickle all the time. And I like pickles, dill pickles especially. But I don't like those kind of pickles. And I said, God, I need your mercy. And God sends his mercy. Since there is affection from God, since there is mercy. What I need you to do is go be affectionate in a godly way and show mercy the way you've been shown mercy. Paul mentioned these things in the manner that suggests to us that they should all be obvious parts of it. In other words, this is who you receive God to be in your life. Now go live it. Just go live it. Rock of KC. You rockers, go rock it. Go rock it. Go rock the mercy of God. Go rock, rock the comfort of God. Go rock the love of God. Go rock the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Go rock it. Just walk in the Spirit. Make him your best friend. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. Become acquainted to his voice. Don't make him have to yell at you, scream at you. Don't be like a horse that needs both bit and bridle to give direction to its life. Listen to his voice. Let the whisper be your guidance. That's, that's it. And then he goes into Philippians 2, the, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, or verse 2 and 4. So he gets specific about how they are to walk in humility and love to each other. He gets real specific. He goes, fulfill my joy. Fulfill my joy, Paul says. Hey, guys, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Notice these joy builders. These are joy builders. Like-mindedness, same love, getting along. 
<laughs> Come on. Hey, make my joy complete by just having the same mind, the mind of Christ. Just have it. Have the mind of Christ. Have the mercy of Christ. Have the love of Christ. Have the patience of Christ. Have the perseverance of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Have it in you. Have it in you. Think this way. Take every thought captive. Bring it in obedience to Christ. Come on, do your job. Do your part. Do your part to be like-minded, like the mind of Christ. And then what I want you to do is that same love that God loves you with, then love others with it. Take the same love that you're experiencing with God his love is patient with you. His love is kind towards you. His love is long-suffering for you. Come on, how many of you have had some long, God's like, I'm still dealing with this about you? Come on. We all probably have like, and he's still merciful. He's still gracious. He's still patient. He's still there. Go in love. Have the same love for each other. And then get along. Just get along. This is such a joy when the kids are getting along. It's such a joy when the grandchildren are all playing together and getting along, isn't it? And now we're adults, so get along. <laughs> but notice these joy killers. These will kill joy in your life and in the congregation, in your community, in your home, in your business, in your neighborhood. These are joy killers. Selfish ambition. This is the I. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't like that place. I don't have any fun there. I don't, da, 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 I, 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 selfish. It's not what I want. It's not what I desire. I don't like that color. I don't want that color. I don't like that couch. I don't want that couch. I want this. I want that. I, 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 I. Because it's all about me. Look at me now. It's Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. And I did it my way. I mean, that's a great song. He's got a great voice, but wow. what The epitome, the opposite of what God calls us to. I want to do it God's way. I want to do it God's way. Because his way is best. His way is holy. His way is righteous. Mine isn't always righteous, holy, or best. But his is. And selfish ambition will kill joy. Man, she always gets her way. Oh, he always gets his way. They just do it to keep peace because no one will just tell them, you're conceited, you're selfish, and I'm not putting up with it anymore. You can learn to get along and you can learn to not have your way or you don't get to party with us anymore. Love you too much, love myself too much to let this continue. You're not gonna hold money over my head. You're not gonna hold inheritance over my head. You're not gonna hold this over my head. You're not gonna, I, I don't fear you anymore. I'm not afraid of your fits anymore. I'm not gonna be the one that causes you to go to your grave. No, no more manipulation, no more witchcraft, no more control, no. And then he goes to conceit. This is a joy killer. What is conceit? This is thinking too highly of oneself, of having an excessive self-interest and self-preoccupation. It could be more literally translated empty glory. A dictionary definition of conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, importance, and wit. How many of you know some of those people? They're just like, they are like, I am all that and a bag of chips. In fact, hey, why don't you tell me about how great I am. And then I'll tell you how great I am. They're the kind of people that will ask you a question 
and they don't want, they're not asking you the question because they want to know the answer. They're going to, they're about to tell you everything they already know about it. How many of you know some people like that? Don't elbow the person next to you. That could get dangerous right now. But they're, they're all about see me, notice me. I did this. Look at me. Look at how great I have done it, how well I've done it. Boy, it would be nice if you could be like me. See my hat? Isn't it pretty? See, 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 see. And, and, and unfortunately, the internet, and have you all heard of selfies? Selfies? I mean, we're, this is the age of selfie. See how beautiful I am? See how cool I am? See how awesome I am? See what I've done? What I've achieved? It's like, man, show me some pictures of your kids. Show me some pictures of your puppies. Don't show me any pictures of your cats. No. <laughs> you know, you know I, I was like, that's probably not the Holy Spirit, but. It's like conceit will just kill the joy. And then he says, here's some joy builders. Here's some more guys. Here's some more joy builders. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. The ancient Greeks considered lowliness of mind to be a fault, not a virtue. The pagan and the secular idea of manhood is self-assertiveness, imposing one's will on others. When anyone stooped to others, he did so only under compulsion. Hence, his action was ignominious and disgraceful. The Christian ethical idea of humility could not be reached by the secular mind. It lacked the spiritual soil, Linsky writes in his commentary. Spurgeon writes, the apostle knew that to create concord, you need first to beget loneliness of mind. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. It's like, dude, I don't have any horse in this race. I have no dog in this fight. We're just what do you want to do? Do it. Come on. Let's just make a decision. I don't have an ambition here. It really doesn't matter where we eat. Honestly, it doesn't. So let's just pick a place. Pick it. And then it says, esteem others better than himself. As we esteem others better we will naturally have a concern for their needs and concerns. This sort of outward-looking mentality naturally leads us to unity among the people of God. Listen, if I consider you above me and me and you, and you consider me above you, all right, you follow me? We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. Are you hearing this? This is the spirit and attitude. Hey, I need your gift. You need my gift. Let's not try to compare our gifts. Let's not try to rank our gifts. Oh, we love to, oh, he's the goat. You know, we love this. We love this ranking system. And it's like, stop it. 
Yield to each other. Submit to one another in the fear of God. Yield to the gift that's the best gift in the house at the moment that's needed. Well, I've got the gift of leadership. Yeah, but your administration sucks. We need an administrator here right now. This is a mess. So humble yourself in your leadership gift and let the gift of administration rise up and get some organization to this thing. See? This is the heart and the spirit. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Here, the thought is completed. As we put away our selfish ambitions, our conceit, and our tendencies to be high-minded and self-absorbed, we will naturally have a greater concern for the interests and needs of others. Paul doesn't tell us that it is wrong to look out for our own interests, but that we should not only look out for our interests, but those of others. And so Jesus is this ultimate example of humility, and Paul moves into it in the next verses, 5 through 11. And it's really a hymn. He, he breaks out into the song. You want me to break out in song? Oh, you do? Okay. Now, <laughs> that, could be, that could cause weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't want to go there. <laughs> Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. You get to choose. Do you want the mind of Christ? Do you want it or not? You can say, no, I don't want the mind of Christ. I don't want the morality of Christ. I want to be mad. I want to be unforgiving. I want to be stubborn. I want to be willful. No, I'm not going to do it. No, you're not going to soothe me. You're not going to comfort me. You're not going to exhort me. You're not going to admonish me. I am going to stay with where I'm at. I want the mind that I have. No, thank you very much. But he says, let this mind be in you. Let it be. Can't you hear the song right now? The Beatles, I hear them. Let it be, let it be. Mother Mary came to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be, let it be, let it be. Let this mind be in you. Let it be in you. Come on, church. Come on, Philippian church. Come on, Rock of KC people, community of faith. Let this be in you. Let this mind be in you. It's all too easy us to read the following description of Jesus and admire it from a distance. God wants us to be awed by it, but also to see it as something that we must enter into and imitate. Let this mind means that it is something that we have a choice about. Remember also that this mind is something granted to us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we have the mind of Christ. But let this mind show us that it is also something we must choose to walk in. You have to let it be. Everyone say, let it be. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let this mind be in you. Come on. Let this mind of mercy, of grace, of love, forgiveness. Let this mind that doesn't return evil for evil or insult for insult. Let it be in you. Come on. We need Christ to shine in you. We need Christ to shine in this world. Philippians 2, 6, who being in the form of God, in the form of God, this describes Jesus' pre-incarnate existence. We must remind ourselves that Jesus did not begin his existence in the manger at Bethlehem, but he is eternal God. This Greek word which describes that which is a man is in his very essence, Barclay, in his commentary says, in very essence and which cannot be changed. It describes that part of a man which in any circumstances remains the same. In other words, Jesus didn't become God. He was God. He's part of the Trinity from the beginning. 
And it's important for us to understand this. It's a deep theological concept and one that can get abused and misused. Paul, by the use of the Greek word translated being, informs his Greek readers that our Lord's possession of the divine essence did not cease to be a fact when he came to earth to assume human form. Because people today will try to say, he was just a good teacher. He was just a good man. He was just like the prophets. But he was not God. But he was God. And he is God. And always has been and always will be God. And it's an important doctrine. For us to embrace, this word alone is enough to refute the claim of modernism that our Lord emptied himself of his deity when he became man. This is from Weiss' uh, Dictionary of New Testament Words. And then it says, being in the form, the word form is the Greek word morphe. It always signifies a form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it. The word means the being on an equality with God. And then Philippians 2, 6, Jesus did not cling to the privilege of deity, did not consider it robbery. The ancient Greek in his phrase has the idea of something being grasped or clung to. Jesus did not cling to the prerogatives or the privileges of deity. Why? Because he was deity. He didn't need to cling to it. It was part of who he was in his essence. And he didn't Think of robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to achieve equality with the Father. He had it. And chose not to cling to it. Jesus' divine nature was not something he had to seek for or acquire, but it was his already. Philippians 2.7. Jesus made of himself no reputation, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. See, this is it. We are all trying to get ahead. We're all trying to get to number one. We want to be in the top 1% or whatever it is. And Jesus said, that's not my goal, and I don't want it to be your goal. What I want you to do is I want you to serve like I serve. I consider myself a bondservant. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, and I want this mind to be in you. Remember at the beginning of Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. We, are, we, are, we have humbled ourselves under the lordship of Jesus, and we're here to serve him and his purposes. Not to make our name great, but to make his name great. Not to make our name famous and followed, but to make his name famous and followed. He made of himself no reputation. The more common and well-known translation of this is that he emptied himself. This is the ancient Greek word kenosis. Came the idea that Jesus' incarnation was essentially a self-emptying. In other words, he divested himself of all those privileges and became a man because he wanted to show us the way to the Father. You guys are coming up way too early. I surely haven't spent that much time already. But they're coming anyway. The footsteps of the apocalypse. Do, 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 do. The end of your sermon, pastor. <laughs> da, 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 da. I hear it. I hear it. Ignore it, people. Ignore it. <laughs> the extent of his emptying and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Crucifixion was such a shameful death. Listen to this that it was not permitted for Roman citizens. You see, a victim of crucifixion was considered by Jesus, Jews, to be particularly cursed by God. And that's the truth. Jesus became accursed for us so that he would remove the curse from us. 
That's amazing love, isn't it? That's amazing love. Let's move. I'm going to use my finger, and I'll tell you where to stop because i got so many notes here. Uh, go back to that Spurgeon quote. I love this one. The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him up. Would you not agree? In adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. This is our God. And then the Bible says that, therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. It's a high name. It's a holy name. It's an exalted name. God exalted this name. Now, just pause for this thought that Christ did not crown himself, but that his Father crowned him. That he did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty, but that his Father lifted him there and placed on him his throne. Placed him on his throne. That's what Jesus did. So the Bible says, let not your own lips praise you, but let the lips of another. In other words, don't go around tooting your own horn. To let, let praise come from others, but don't, don't self-exalt yourself. Humble yourself before God. Let him raise you up at the proper time. Let him put you in the right place at the right time with the right people for his purposes. Not for selfish ambition or self-glory, but rather for his glory. It's Paul's exhorting them, understanding. God gave him this name above every name the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess his lordship. Confess his lordship. You see, here's, I'm, I'm going I'm to go through this real quick here, but do you know that the Roman citizens were required to say Caesar is Lord? The Caesars were considered God. And that when the early Christians, they refused to say Caesar is Lord. They would say Jesus is Lord. He's curious. He's Lord. There's only one Lord. We will not bow our knee to anyone else. And they would, in, in, in the ancient Greeks and during those times, they would oftentimes even take a, a pinch of incense or something and, and make an offering to and say Caesar is Lord. And they refused to do it. Only Jesus is Lord. And we have a culture today that's working. No, you bow down to our immorality. You bow down to our nonsense. You bow down to our abortion rights. You bow down to this. Now they're, now they're working and putting bills in place that you can kill a baby up to 7 or 28 days after they've been born. This is crazy. And they're telling us now that children have to be, that come to school and identify as animals, that they have to be, you have to respect their right to be called, consider themselves an animal. And I'm going, can it get any, can it get any more crazy? And I'm saying, yes, it can. Because the scripture says that people will wax worse and worse. And when you think that all insanity's gone, I'm telling you, church, hold on. Hold on. Because it will. Because evil people will wax worse and worse. And you step back and you go, how can this be? Because people say, I don't want God. I don't want God in. I'll, I'll create God in my image, but not the image of God himself. Because I don't want his morality. 
I don't want his rules. I don't want his mandates. I don't want his commandments. I'll make them up. It's here. It's here. Now, how are you going to respond to it? That's what it's all about. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, I want you to maintain the attitude of Christ. I want you to maintain the spirit of God. I want you to maintain a heart of love. Come on now. It's there. It's written for you and me. But a lot of us aren't acting that way. But why? Because we're not in the word and the word is not in us. We're letting our feelings and our, 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 our inconveniences and the persecution say, no, no, you know, we're getting in the flesh and we can't get in the flesh. We must remain in the spirit. Then... I'm gonna jump forward. There's so much that I'm passing through, but let's go to 15 and 16. I think it is 14 through 16. And we'll, we'll just kind of work out. You know, you gotta work out your salvation. I skipped over that. You don't work for your salvation. You work it out. Work out what you said has happened inside of you. Work it out, guys. So you, you tell me that you've confessed Christ. You tell me that Jesus is your Lord. You, you tell me this. Well, then work it out. Let it work out in you. Work it out to where it's evident. Come on now. This is no different. You tell me that you're, you know, that you've changed the way you're eating. You've told me that, that you're working out, you're doing this. Well, then it'll become evident. You don't have to go keep announcing it. It'll just become evident. It'll work out. <laughs> Right? And so this is what he's saying. This is your confession. Hold fast to it, but work it out. Wrestle through it. Cry out to God. Till it becomes manifest. Work with the Holy Spirit. Spend time on your knees in prayer. Oh, God, get a hold of me. Oh, God, have me. Oh, God, break this habit. Oh, God, renew my mind. Oh, Spirit of God, fall on me fresh and anew. Holy Spirit, lead my life. Holy Spirit, take control of my tongue. Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Oh, Spirit of God, come on me today. I'm getting ready to go into a tense situation. I need you. I need not to go back to my old ways. I don't need to slip in back into drinking. I don't need to slip back into illicit sex and all those other places I sought to get comfort from. I need your comfort. I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your spirit to come upon me. I need the mind of Christ. Oh, God, God, I'm not leaving. I'm not getting up from my, my knees until I have an assurance that you're coming and that you're here and that I'm going to walk in this. Come on now, see? But a lot of us, no, we want the easy button. We want the easy button. Just give me the pill. I don't want to have to, I don't have to change my mind. I don't want to have to, just give me a pill. Give me something. And it's like, no, this isn't how it works. There's a cross and you got to learn to endure it and pick it up. And grace will come if you'll receive grace. The mind of Christ will come if you'll receive it. And so then he says, here, do all things without complaining and disputing. Hey, guys, tough times are coming. Don't go back to the wilderness and do like Israel did. That's what Paul's referring to. All they did was murmur. All they did was complain. Oh, God, we don't like this slavery in Egypt. Oh, God, get us out of Egypt. So then when God started getting them out of Egypt, they didn't like the way in which they were going. And what did they do the whole time? They murmured and they complained. And children of God, this is beginning to what's happening right now. Just murmuring and complaining, murmuring and complaining. And God says in the last days, this stuff will happen, and last day stuff is happening, and what are we doing? Murmuring and complaining. Do all things without complaining and disputing, 
that you may become, why? Blameless and harmless. The word harmless means without alloy. It means pure children of a God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul says, look guys, your life and the reflection of Christ, if it doesn't happen, then I've labored in vain. Don't let me run in vain. Don't let me spend my life in vain that you're not grasping and laying hold of Christ and Christ is laying hold of you. Let him live in your life. Among you shine as lights in this world. This is not an encouragement to do something. It is a simple statement of fact. Christians are lights in the world. The only question is, how brightly do you shine? How bright, that's a question. How brightly is your light shining that's pointing to Christ? Why light? Because lights are used to make things evident. Lights are used to guide. Lights are used as a warning. Lights are used to bring cheer. And lights are used to make things safe. How safe are you? How safe are you? As a Christian, how safe are you? Are my children safe with you? Are they protected by you? Are you going to point them to Jesus? If they followed you around, would they, would they know what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus and walk in light? If they listen to your thoughts and they listen to your deep longings, would they... Would they taste and see that God's good and that you're dependent on him? I'm just asking the question. It's good for us to ponder this. Like what if someone didn't know anything about Jesus and they started following me around? How much of a light would I be to them to point them to him? He says, you're a light. It's a fact. Don't try to be a light. You are one. Just how bright is he turned up? And so I'd say with you, with me, we would adopt the prayer of John the Baptist, the statement, his ethos, his, his purpose. He must increase. I must decrease. Stand, let's pray. Father God, I lift my hand. I encourage you to lift your hand just as a hand of surrender or hands, whichever you want to do both. Just, God, I want to surrender to you. I want to surrender to your heart, to your mind. I want to surrender to your ways. I want to surrender to your lordship. I don't want to bow to this world. I don't want to become angry and complaining. I don't want to become bitter. God, I want to learn to let things go and let things be. I want to learn to fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with mercy. And I want to be an encourager and I want to be a comfort. I want to bring fortification. God, I want to come out of victimhood into victory. So God, I yield to you. 
I yield to you, God, and I want the mind of Christ to be in me. If that's your prayer, just say it to God. I want your mind to be in me. I want your will. I want your way. I want your spirit. I want to be filled with your joy, God. I want to be filled with your presence. I don't want to be pulled into worry, into fear. I don't want to be pulled into complaining and murmuring. I don't want to live my old life, God. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, afresh and new, and make me all that you want me to be, and help me to do all that you want me to do. Help me to yield to other giftings. Help me to yield to other points of wisdom and insight and understanding. Help me to be plugged in and submitted, God, and not conceited, and not to walk in selfish ambition. Help me, God, to die. Help me to pick up my cross and follow you, that I might honor you, that I might live in you, that I might have my being in you. Oh, God, hear my prayer in Jesus' name. Name, amen and amen.